Hey, it's Jordan. Delighted to be joined by Steve Grumbine, Real Progressives, and uh, a wizard on modern monetary theory, economics, and uh, fact-first fiction uh, as far as progressive economics. Uh, we've spoken before. Uh, just for people that might be tuning in for the first time, might not know modern monetary theory, give us a brief description of MMT. And also, frankly, I don't hear any of the candidates really using it in its in its true essence. Well, so first things first, thank you for letting me join you again, Jordan. I love being with you here, bro. Um, modern monetary theory is just a description of the way the system is today. It really describes currency wherever it is all around the world. Um, but more importantly, though, it is like a, a scalpel through the neoliberal lies that we've been force-fed for a generation, um, both at the federal level, and it teaches us the difference between states and local currencies. And at the end of the day, it describes the way our system works from 1971 to present, when we left the gold standard, when we left the Bretton Woods Accord. And you, you see clearly right now, everyone talks as if we're still on the gold standard. Everything that they talk about is based on this concept of national debt without understanding that we we are the creditors in general. We are the ones that, that create the money. So, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, what debt? So ultimately, MMT is a description, a lens by which we can understand the economy. It doesn't need to be implemented. You hear a lot of people talk about, well, if we implement, no, it's already there. Um, and, and really, the reason why you don't hear candidates talking about it is, number one, a lot of them don't fully understand it. Number two, it could be political suicide because you, you see the resistance. A lot of people that just have zero understanding of economics bring to the table. They hear something that doesn't sound like what they've been hearing for the last 20 years. Their radar goes up. They can't believe it. They reject it on site. So I think that the candidates are up against a buzzsaw of a – public that is quite frankly not really tuned into economics they think of the federal government as their own household budget and you know at the end of the day mmt dispels that myth it shows that the currency issuer can never go broke and that's ultimately what mmt allows us to see uh, and the way i understand it correct me if i'm wrong is it's not like taxpayer money has fully covered the endless war we've engaged in it's not like there's enough taxpayer money going around to uh, pay for all the 1,000 military bases around the world, pay for the wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, the droning, the, all of this. The government's printing the money, so the government has the money. It's just what the government chooses to spend the money on. So think of it like this. Every time the government signs a bill into law, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's something sexy that we love or something disgusting that we hate. Every time the government signs something into law, it, it authorizes new spending. And that new spending is new dollars. We don't reuse tax dollars. Taxes are simply the uh, carrot and the stick to drive us to require that currency. It shows us that the currency that the government issues is the only thing we can pay our taxes in. So therefore, it's what creates a circuit. It, it forces us to have the currency to pay the tax. And the government guarantees that it will take your money to pay the tax. And so that's the circuit that MMT demonstrates clearly. Uh, the taxes literally do not pay for any spending whatsoever. So the idea of we're going to pay for X program or Y program by raising taxes, that, that's one of the other things that MMT clearly dispels. Um, it's not really rocket science after you figure it out to your point. 
you know, these bombs that are going off all over the place didn't get funded by taxpayer dollars. We just saw a huge $750 billion increase to the uh, military budget while simultaneously slashing taxes as well. So it doesn't take a genius to start seeing the ruse that has been pulled over on us, but it does take an open mind to say, wait a minute, maybe maybe that's what wasn't clicking all these years. Right. So, so yeah. we're going to get to Andrew Yang. Don't 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 you don't you worry about that. But let's talk Bernie and Tulsi then, because even though, for example, Tulsi, even though in the spirit of what she's saying, it, it it's very very. Um, uh, credible and important, you know, ending these wars. Uh, the way she's saying it is, you know, we're spending all this money over there that could be spent over here on domestic programs. But in reality, it's not really an either or because the, we're not foregoing domestic programs to pay for the foreign programs. That's exactly right. I think that that is a huge deal, too, that we all need to really understand, because if we don't understand that, then what ends up happening is we create what I call a false scarcity narrative. We create a narrative where we literally think somehow or another, we can't save lives today and give them health care. We can't pay off student debt. We can't do these things because somehow or another, we've got to offset it or finance it through cuts to the military. And that's that's become a folklore on the left that has actually hurt us more than just about anything the right wing could do to us. Our own self-imposed prison of not realizing how it works really does cripple us quite quite terribly, actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and go ahead. No, go ahead. So Tulsi, let me let me just be clear. Tulsi does not understand MMT. It, we're not talking about like she's just saying things because politically it's not you know, good. She genuinely doesn't understand it. And quite frankly, she is on the UBI side with all Andrew and and her own right. So there's a lot of really, you know, we all love her. She stood up for Bernie and, you know, she's got all these great anti-war stances. But in reality, her position on a great many things is quite troubling because it lends itself to right wing thinking when it comes to the economic model that she's proposing. And, you know, that may hurt people's feelings to hear that. But we're never going to make progress if we can't call out our heroes and and say, hey, you're wrong. This is not how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could say the same for Bernie. But Bernie, the difference between the two of them, it, it, it couldn't be more stark. You see Bernie's visions are so much broader, so much faster, so much more visionary. And the reason for that is because he knows with Kelton and his background, he knows the full scope and the full power of the purse, and he understands what we can do. So that's why, I mean, it's to me, it's not even a, there's no contest. I mean, Bernie hands down. But when you see this, you have to scratch your head because the average Tulsi voter, the average Bernie voter, they don't understand this. They're still wondering why their checks are bouncing in their own day-to-day lives. So spending all this huge amount of money is very difficult to get their head wrapped around. And I think Bernie, the difference between Bernie and Tulsi, uh, it's not to knock Tulsi, but I think Bernie gets that the debt thing is is a lot to do about nothing. But yes. he knows that in the time he has to, because he does have to pick off some of the establishment vote to, to win the nomination and win the uh, general election. Uh, I think he looks at it more as I'm not going to pick this fight because they, you know, the the old school Democrat. Democratic voter who's basically conservative, uh, they still believe in you know. Oh, we have, we got to look at the debt and, and you know worry about the debt. Um, and Bernie, I think, also talks more in terms of 
Not that <clears throat> we need to cut the military budget to pay for programs here, but we need to prioritize That's programs right. here. You'll notice a very subtle language changes between the two of them. Um, Bernie oftentimes will couch things like, we can't balance the budget on the backs of the poor. We're not going to balance the budget, period. Okay, but the point is, we're not going to balance it on the poor. So, no, you don't get to screw over the poor to get your balanced fiscal sustainability, whatever. And um, he uses a lot of coded language. And for us MMTers, it's like, okay, I mean, it's painful because we know who he's accommodating. It isn't us. We'd love him to say, yeah, absolutely. We can sky's the limit. He basically has done that. That look, he came out and offered up getting rid of uh, medical debt. He came. Out, I mean, the, they're they're even talking about housing debt. They're talking about getting rid of all debt. They're really, if you watch and you're paying attention, they're driving toward a debt jubilee. And this is an incredibly big deal because folks like Steve Keen, who are for the monetary circuit theory, and some others of the larger group like uh, um, Michael Hudson and and some of the other outliers. They're all really pushing for outing and getting rid of private debt because private debt is strangling all of our lives. It's strangling the economy, too. So I think that's what you're seeing here. And uh, it's 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 pretty masterful when you think about the fact that most people really don't get this. So he mm. puts just enough of what they understand into it and then says, wow, we're going to do these great things. And you're like, where's all the tax money coming from to do all this nonsense? It, you, it doesn't add up. He's not saying tax dollars. He's talking straight up deficit spending. So, And uh, just to put a bow on uh, MMT before we get to Yang, and, and honestly, I, I think Yang's programs are a little dangerous and a lot of people don't understand them. Um, so you have these right-wingers now running against Trump. I think Mark Sanford and, you know, um, Joe Walsh, who was a birther and all these things, and they're very focused on, you know, the debt has exploded under Trump, in addition to Trump being a lunatic. And the Democrats are using this messaging, the deficit has exploded, this and that. Uh, for people that might be open to MMT but have been indoctrinated with debts and deficits, debt and deficits, why does debt not actually matter uh, as far as modern monetary theory? Well, it's, it's I mean, you got to know what debt is, right? So all money in a fiat system is debt. What it is, is the dollar itself is uh, used, it's a tax credit. That's the, the shortcut to it, it's a tax credit. So when you issue these dollars, what the government is saying is, we'll accept $1 for $1 in tax payment. And that's your guarantee that that dollar has quote unquote value. And so when you're looking at this, it's debt because it's a government obligation that they will receive that as payment in tax. All this stuff about interest-bearing accounts and bonds and stuff like that, we make this stuff in keystrokes. It's got nothing to do with nothing. It's We want to defend a positive interest rate. We want to keep interest rates at 3% so they sell bonds or whatever to slow down an uh, economy or speed up an economy. It depends on – it's like a brake and a gas pedal in the economy and nothing more. The debt is the sum total of every untaxed dollar in existence today. I mean it's that simple. And I, it cracks me up because I, I was once a Ron Paul guy and an end the Fed guy and every other lunatic fringe idea that the left and, and I, I'm a part of that community has peddled out there. You know, it's it's that combination of the right wing and the left wing meeting in the middle and coming up with all kinds of fairy tales. And I think that this particular one, the debt in particular, is probably the most brutal of them all because it is the ultimate austerity. It brings about the very nature of, well, we got to 
reduce spending. We've got to eat our peas. We've got to, you know, we got to do something awful to ourselves to to bring some false fiscal responsibility to the table. And um, I think that that has been used to great success. Um, and it's a very political game because you realize when the Republicans are in there, they don't mind exploding the deficit. And then the Democrats are like, deficit, deficit, deficit. And then to flip it around and then all of the Democrats want to spend some money on, you know, uh, Medicare or whatever, and the Republicans are like, deficit, deficit, deficit. And the Democrats have said, screw this, let's just not play this game anymore. Let's just go ahead and be fiscal conservatives ourselves and screw ourselves out of any meaningful change whatsoever. So you know, the whole thing's a big old farce, and the national debt is absolutely nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in existence, nothing more. Right. Uh, let's move on to Andrew Yang. Uh, full disclaimer to the audience before the Yang gang goes down my throat and, and Steve's. I've reached out, uh, I think twice, um, not recently, but a couple months ago, I reached out twice to get Andrew Yang on status quo. So this is not, you know, gratuitously attacking him or anything like that. I'd love to interview him. Uh, so invitations out there. I'm sure you would as well. Um, so Yang, you know, I think one head to head poll uh, recently, I think it was in New Hampshire, actually had him beating Trump handily. Uh, he's been three or four percent in some national polls. He's been in every debate so far. He'll be in this one. So uh, I think he's got a little bit, uh, obviously not with the racism and that kind of stuff, but he's got a little bit of that outsider thing that Trump capitalized on uh, in 2016, a little bit of that business thing. And on paper, uh, I think what he's proposing sounds great. Um, it, it sounds like, oh, $12,000 a year on top of uh, what you're already making if you work for a living, you know, generally middle class or whatever's left of the middle class. Uh, so that could be a huge supplementary income on, on paper. Um, uh, but there seems to be a lot of strings attached to it that I think his supporters are a little naive about. I also think um, there's a separate issue from MMT, which is this defeatist attitude of automation is inevitable. We're all fucked. Um, <laughs> here's $1,000 a month because there's nothing we could do. Uh, let's start with the first what uh is what is what are people not seeing about andrew yang's ubi which again twelve thousand dollars a month so one thousand dollars monthly but it's the it's that or uh social welfare programs you can't get that and still be on food stamps and still get you know ssi and still get a lot of these social welfare programs that the most vulnerable of our society depend on yeah so first things first i am 1000% against the UBI and, and the most like, like out of every issue out there, I probably couldn't be more against a UBI. And it, it starts there. God, the list of things. And I hope folks actually take the time when I do what I'm about to do to fact check me. Don't just go, you know, get religious on me and start screaming like you're a Christian in the audience at some, you know, heathen, you know, I'm telling you facts. All right. So the, the thing is, is that let's just say hypothetically, I give every person a thousand dollars a month, every person. Right. So the poor people get their thousand dollars a month and they're going to be trying to buy bread. They're going to be trying to buy whatever. The middle class gets that and they're going to say, oh, let me go ahead and pay off some debts. Maybe I save $200 a month after I pay off some debts. And then the rich take that money and they go ahead and invest it in something. And that wealth starts growing again because investor grade interest rates, they're making money once again on this money. So they're exacerbating the wealth gap 
once again, furthering and furthering and furthering the existing neoliberal paradigm. This is 1,000% a neoliberal program. There is no price anchor. None. Zero. So if I give you $1,000 and I give Sally Sue $1,000, I give everybody $1,000 without a price anchor, without something to anchor that, all happens is that you build into an inflationary situation where now the cost of goods that the poor really needed, you, they really needed the goods and services. They didn't need the cash. They needed the goods and services. Well, you've already told them to eat their peas. Here's your $1,000 and they'll shut up and go away. Okay, this pittance, this is the, the new underclass that the tech billionaires are trying to push forward so that they can create a new society in their own image where they get all the benefits of automation and the rest of us get to eat our peas. So to, so, to, to dumb it down, basically, if you suffocate all this money into the economy, uh, more, there's more, peop- more money in people's pockets, you're saying prices will go up. It's not – see, so there's there's – you want to keep it – slowed down, dumbed down, whatever, but there is a slight difference here. It's really not about the amount of money in there. If we gave everybody $1 or if we gave everybody $10,000, it's really about relative buying power spread out amongst the people. So the real question becomes, can we produce the real goods and services that are required to meet the new demand that you have now expanded throughout the entire economy? And you can say automation, but there's no evidence that automation is going to suddenly take on enough to pay for every – to create the real goods and services that demand would be there. Look at something as simple as the Xbox. I use this example all the time. You know, Right now, Xbox, let's say it's $500 per. And you know, people that got to have a little bit of cheddar to go out there and blow it on some luxury item like an Xbox. Well, what happens if everybody suddenly has $500 in the pocket that wants to buy an Xbox? Well, it's not making it more – it doesn't make it cost more. What happens is, is that now you've got 20 million people that want those 500 Xboxes, whereas before it was you know, 400 wanted it or whatever. So now there's a black market that comes about. Now you've driven up the price based on the basic supply and demand uh, that basic economics teaches us. So there's no production there to meet demand with a UBI. There's literally no production. And so – when we look at Yang's proposals, what they're actually doing is, number one, they're, they're – and Yang has come right out and said, hey, we'll subsidize shit wages. What are you talking about? This is the anti-labor movement of all time. I mean this has countered everything that you would ever – ever dream of. The right has begged for this forever. They've wanted to slash away the social safety nets. They've wanted to get rid of any kind of government services. It's not just the money. It's the services because the government can always pay any price increase. You really want the food. You really want the medical care. You really want these things. You don't want $1,000 to go out there and forage in the market to find health care. You don't want $1,000 to forage around for things. Housing, you know, it just starts steamrolling out of control. And this is not hyperbole. This is literally how this shit works. And so, you know, people that are desperate, they see, oh, here, here's a thousand dollars. They're like, oh my God, Andrew Yang, you're my God. You know, Scott Santons, you're my God. Never mind, you're a snake oil salesman. Well, okay. what, I, what do you say? Because I've seen comments under videos I've done critiquing Yang uh, from people on disability who say, mm-hmm. who say. Uh, you know, I've had to fight uh, through bureaucracy and this and that, and I'm still not. Some of them have gotten benefits. Some of them still haven't gotten approved. Uh, and the ones that are approved, really, whatever their combination of benefits are uh, for programs they're on, are let 
to them are less than $1,000 a month that they're getting. So on paper, they would be getting more from Yang. So they argue for Yang's programs. Okay, so let's think about this. What is the real problem in your statement right there? We've already gone through this. Austerity in general, these programs are underfunded because we believe that the government's broke. It can't do nice things. So we've got to cut spending, eat our peas like Obama said. I mean, it's pathetic. So when you underfund a program, you can make it look as shitty as you can make it look. You can make it look, the United States can bomb the world, but damn it, it can't figure out how to process unemployment. Come on, give me a fucking break. You know, it's ridiculous. It's intentional. It's not an accident. Okay. And the reality is, is that even if you gave them a thousand dollars and they said, oh, well, that's better pricing than the other. Well, now everybody's got that thousand and the price of those things without a price anchor, you're thinking everything's just going to stay the same. Not a chance. Look at Walmart, for example, right now today, Walmart already subsidizes shit wages with welfare. Okay, you got Bernie out there trying to push the the Amazon, the Walmart plan, basically to bust their chops if their people are on welfare because they're not paying a living wage. Ultimately, this is just a cash giveaway. And it's not I don't care. Hey, man, if it would work, I'd be all for it. But it doesn't work. There's no tie to the real goods and services. You've been living under a bridge. You've been living in shit conditions. Here's a thousand dollars, man. Make your life your own, brother. Really? I mean, it's so preposterous to think that that would be the way it would be instead of fighting to fix the damn you know systems, because all these systems, whether it be public or private, all of them have to function. You've got to fix the processes. You've got to fix the systems that support it. You've got to identify the real problems and not just keep bypassing and saying, here, take some Milton Friedman cash because all capitalism needs is a little bit more money to keep the stock market growing. That's what this comes down to. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And also, when you're talking about attacking the social safety net, well, if Yang's programs go into effect, um, it for, for the people on the lowest rung, uh, they might be choosing UBI, which chips away at those programs, but Yang's not going to be president forever. So those programs start getting chipped away, chipped away, chipped away at to the point where, oh, they're no longer needed because we have UBI. So the price... The prices might be going up, like you were saying, under UBI, but these programs are going away more permanently. That's right. There's no guarantee that you will have the real goods and services that you need based on $1,000. Now you're in a perpetual fight to keep increasing the UBI. Now it's like, oh, my God, we got to raise more money because now the cost has gone up. Okay, And so at some point in time, this thing just keeps doing this because there's nothing to anchor it. Now, people don't have to get economics. They're going to probably – eyes will glaze over, turn to sandpaper, be bored, go check out, play a video game, whatever it is they do when they hear things that they don't enjoy learning. But this is really where the rubber meets the road. All these programs, every single one of them requires an understanding of how you're going to pay for it. Hillary made Bernie look like an idiot in the first round because she kept laughing at him, calling everything he said pie in the sky. How are you going to pay for it? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. All the other stuff. And we still – as progressives have not gotten out of our own way to smack that neoliberal laugh down and and win. And so Yang comes in here. Where is Andrew Yang's $1,000 a month coming from? I mean, think about this. He's going to sit there and say it's taxes and this, that, and the other. The reality is, is that this would be the government spending money into the economy, which on its face sounds good until you realize that there's no output to offset that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why... MMT folks would support the job guarantee with a 
basic income being Social Security being expanded to handle different scenarios. You know, you, it's just an amazing thing how they make these bold statements to the poor. They, it's like, God, I'll give you a thousand bucks, man. And their eyes roll back in their head and they're like, bing, 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 this is it. And it, it to me, it's the greatest sin that they've ever done is playing a joke on the poor, basically, because this does not work. It doesn't work and it won't work. It can't work. It's status quo, not status quo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I find uh, interesting also is he keeps saying, because he's also not for raising a minimum wage, but he says the UBI of $1,000 a month ultimately is like a raise of, I think he said, six, five or six dollars an hour anyway. But th- then what are you really getting? Aren't you, if that's the case, you're just raising the minimum wage $15 then. Think about this for a minute. The job guarantees goal, and and this is a very distinct reason why I'm bringing this up. The job guarantees goal is to set the wage floor. It's to buy up a public option to buy up all unused labor, slack labor in the economy. And as people get rolled onto the job guarantee because the economy is doing badly, people work in their local communities at a living wage with benefits, you name it. And then as the economy improves, they can make a choice. They can either get off of the job guarantee and go into a better paying job in the private sector, or they can stay there in their local community and do whatever it is that their community has chosen to fund through this program. Now, the thing that's nice about this is it literally sets the b- benchmark against labor. You, these these companies can't hire you for shit wages like they can with the Yang Gang clan. Okay, the job guarantee eliminates the the stronghold that capital has on our lives. It allows us to democratically choose what we want to do. It allows us to have some democratic control over the things we value versus just making profit for the man. I mean, think about all the things that have social benefit to it in our communities. I mean, mothers that could we could have a co-op for us to be able to have childcare in the local community. We could have co-ops do all kinds of stuff. We could do all – I mean the list of things is only stopped by our imagination. But by making it a job, then they can't hire you at a shit wage and offset it with your UBI. And this right here lifts all ships, literally, ends generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And for those people that are disabled who can't work, don't want to work, whatever, we can expand Social Security – because all it is is a basic income called social – you can call it whatever you want. You call it late for dinner. It's still just a basic income. The only difference is it's not the you. It's not universal. And by doing it this way, the people that want to work, that want to serve their community have an avenue to make a very good wage and be able to be a part of the community and have the benefits thereof. And nobody wants to hire an unemployed person. Okay, And so by allowing people to have a job, there's no distinction now. They get to go and choose what they want to do with their lives. The the idea that you're going to suddenly have all these choices by sitting there with a UBI is repulsive and it's ridiculous. It it doesn't it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. Um, And and also, I think there's a really because honestly, there's some of uh, Bernie's 2016 voters that have kind of moved over to Yang. I, I, I also think there's a difference, not just putting aside the dollars and cents in the uh, philosophy here you have somebody basically say you know just waving the white flag from the get-go saying mm-hmm. there's nothing we could do we got to talk reality the 
corporate vultures have offshored our jobs and it's just going to keep happening and they're also going to add in robots and they're they are adding in robots so here's here's your check whereas bernie's talking proactively we could create 20 million jobs alone uh wind solar retrofitting all that he's talking yep. retro he's talking proactively about there's mil, there's plenty of work to do in this country uh, that doesn't actually make more money for Walmart and the, you know, the capitalist order. So to me, uh, if I'm a progressive, which message is more appealing that there's endless opportunity if we actually have a government that serves you or, you know, just lay down, lay, lay down on your couch. There's nothing we could do because automation in my view, I mean, I've covered a lot of these Midwest States. It's only inevitable if corporations are allowed to do whatever the fuck they want. Well, what, hold on. Let's think about that for a minute, right? Why in the world would we allow automation to be our the horrible boo, boogeyman? I mean, to me, the benefits of automation can be had by all. Instead of leaving it to the wealthy few, we can all enjoy a, a, low, a smaller work week. We can all enjoy working to better our community versus sitting there chasing after some rich guy's dollar. I mean, we have choices here. That's the point. We have real choices. And I want to bring something up that most people seem to forget in this silly debate. You know, we've got a bit of a climate crisis going on right now. And without having the ability to mobilize and, and provide a just transition for those people working in bad, bad industries like coal and other fossil fuel industries, the, or, or even the insurance industry, if we want to go away from private insurance to a Medicare for all plan that provides a single payer, this is a great opportunity to provide what we call a just transition that gives a job to these people, that provides them with a transition away from these very, very bad uh, industries and allows us to address climate change head on. This is what is missed by these UBI guys. I mean, this is the ultimate libertarian. And folks, I am in no way, shape or form down with the libertarian side. I came from that side. I know it's ins and outs. I spit it out and I moved on to trying to be effective. And and I found no value. I've, there was things that were tantalizing, to say the least, about libertarian thinking. And most of it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. Most of it is like almost like teen angst and you, you get past it and it's like a bad gas bubble, man. You let it out, stinks up the room for a few minutes and you move on. And that's what libertarianism is to me at this point. I, it just doesn't hold up once again. We can't survive. We cannot survive the climate crisis with people thinking that the answer is a UBI. It's ridiculous. And, and that's ultimately why when you see Bernie's Green New Deal, and you see AOC's Green New Deal framework, why the job guarantee was part and parcel with that approach. Because you're about to tell people that have worked their whole lives in a coal mine, we're about to end your job. Now, yes, we can move you over to clean energy solutions, but after a while, you just gotta realize that some of these people are probably going to be job guarantee people that are going to need to fill slide over into these roles and serve their local communities serve you know to me it's a no-brainer there is no green new deal with a ubi that ubi thing is a libertarian fantasy that doesn't hold any water in a progressive's mind not one that actually thinks through what it is we're fighting for anyway right so i want to do a little uh you know uh, best hits uh, edition. Let's just go through the candidates in a lightning round. 
I don't really think we need to go through Joe Biden. He's 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 Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Margaret Thatcher combined. Or, with, with Alzheimer's. On top of <laughs> well, I won't go that far, but there, there's. I've been saying like I'm not a doctor, but there's clearly anyone with eyes. Something's going on. So something's very much wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Kamala Harris. Uh, I don't really know what her signature plan is because she changes it all the time, and really she's kind of like Hillary Clinton as far as just poll tested words. I'm, going to pros- I'm the best to prosecute the case because somebody told her in a poll that polled well. Uh, her Medicare for All plan is just a bastardization. It's not really Medicare for All because it's not run by the government. Um, so for, for, for people who claim or, or think of themselves as progressives, uh, should, what is your thoughts on whatever her proposals are? It's, it's, she is probably the worst of the candidates. She she is a zinger. She's got the debate skills to throw zingers in there that make you go, oh, she just oh, just did a great zinger there. But that doesn't equal governance. And everything she's about is privatization. She is the very definition of a neoliberal. Everything she's doing is protecting capital. Everything that she's doing is about fattening capital, growing markets. None of it is about taking care of the people. Even when she pays lip service and says the right social things on the top of it, the minute you look under it, she's immediately balkanized people, split it off. Oh, these people under these conditions will get this little thing. These people over here, not so much. And that right there creates that the, the very hatred that the right and the center and the independents have for the Democrats. They have always pulled this balkanization bullshit where they divide us up into little slices and they say, well, this group gets this and this group gets that. Bernie Sanders, thank God, doesn't do that. So Kamala – no All right. way. So then we move to Elizabeth Warren, who, to me, um, when Elizabeth Warren got into uh, the Senate, I think she was kind of like Hillary Clinton when she was first lady. Like there was more natural progressive roots. Uh, but then uh, somebody got to her because uh, uh, she seems to be kind of uh, like a canvas that's repainted wherever she goes, whoever she's talking to. She's for capital M Medicare for all some of the time. Other time she speaks, you know, let's get everybody to the table. And, you know, there's a lot of different options. I don't know. If, I don't know if she's going to fight for Medicare for all. Uh, she also seems to think that really the key is not structurally changing the system. It's just regulating to death the system where we do need tighter regulation. But as far as I'm concerned, there were regulations that were there were regulatory bodies that were supposed to be regulating the banks. How'd that work out? There are regulatory bodies that are supposed to be regulating the communications industry. How's that working out? There's a regulatory body known as the FEC that's supposed to regulate money and politics. It's a joke. So if you have, you could regulate till you're blue in the face, but if it has no teeth because the money is still in the system, it's, it's all for naught. My opinion on Liz Warren is a mixed bag. It's it's really difficult because I happen to know some of her advisors, and I know them well, and they're good people. And they try and sell me Elizabeth Warren uh, quite frequently, at least in terms of they call her the uh, silver package as opposed to Bernie's platinum package. And, uh, you know, I look at this and I say – Wait, wait, wait. wait. Slow down. Her advisors have told you she's the silver package in a, as opposed to – Right. Well, when I'm talking to them, the bottom line is they recognize Bernie's programs are far more far reaching. They're far more robust. They're far more visionary. And they realize that Elizabeth Warren has taken a different calculus. She's trying to appease the center. She's trying to appease the establishment while simultaneously trying to eke into progressive 
areas to try and bring some fringe progressives back into the center. So her calculus is very, very different than Bernie Sanders, for example, or Tulsi or any of the others. I will tell you that she has some good programs. They're not as good. They're not nearly as good. And because they're not nearly as good, you start asking yourself, why didn't she go a little further? And you realize she's willing to leave people untaken care. I mean, it's, it, I, I'm not a Liz Warren fan at all. Um, I can certainly understand why people would see her in a far more favorable light than many of the other candidates. Um, but quite frankly, it doesn't take a lot to dig past the surface to see, number one, she's chasing Hillary Clinton around already, trying to get into her good graces. She's chasing the establishment everywhere she goes. She did a lot of uh, progressive fundraising. She's done an incredible amount of things that, in my opinion, make her a non-starter for me. Um, I, I think that Anybody that took a look at her bold statement that, she, of course, she's a capitalist. She loves markets, right? That right there ended my support for her in one fell swoop because she also believes that a Green New Deal should be funded by selling green energy around the world. Why not give this stuff away? This is a public – we're trying to save our lives, not – earn money that we create out of thin air to begin with. See, she's trying to fatten capital. She's trying to tip her hat to the capitalist saying, don't worry, you're still going to make money under my administration. And in my opinion, the reality is that you either believe we're in crisis, we either have a climate crisis, or we do not have a climate crisis. The idea of capital winning is just ridiculous. I mean, it's not even a consideration to me. We need to solve this problem yesterday. And Liz Warren, nah, not not my book. And to me, something not talked about uh, enough. A lot of people uh, that are, I think, a little uh, less cynical than I, haven't seen as much as I around the country, really believe in this idea, well, people sometimes do truly evolve. Maybe so. I have a hard time if I'm given the choice between Bernie Sanders or somebody who voted twice for Ronald Reagan in their 30s. I mean, she was a very intelligent woman. She uh, was a professor at Harvard, I think, after that. But even in her 30s, when she made these decisions, she was well-read, well-educated. Uh, so to me, yeah, maybe you've evolved to the point where you're no longer a batshit Republican. Maybe you've <laughs> evolved to the point where, you know, you understand trickle-down was a hoax and you got hoodwinked. Uh, but there's got to be somewhere deep down uh, some of those more conservative roots. Well, I will tell you this, and you know, I wouldn't use this, and I'll tell you why. I came from conservative right-wing background, very, very conservative, very, very right-wing, Judeo-Christian, a Christo-fascist, man. I was a Rush Limbaugh listener, you name it, back in the day, and I had a huge epiphany. I mean, life changed on a dime for me, and I think a lot of it had to do with learning modern monetary theory, but I think a lot of it also had to do with I became a human being finally. And I had, I drifted through life. This is what mommy and daddy had been and told me. So I, I do think that you can change. You look at Tulsi, she came from a very conservative background as well. And so I think that people can and do evolve. I don't think they evolve in a political cycle, though. And I think that you're looking at Elizabeth Warren and you're saying she is what we thought she was. You know, she came out there and she said all the right words when there was nothing on the line. Now that something's on the line, you're watching, she continually hedges her bets, continually airs to the conservative side of things. Just no bueno, man. We got real structural change that has to happen and she's not the answer. So that brings us down to, uh, frankly, 
I think the media is propping up Warren to to knock out Bernie. I think if they were successful in knocking out Bernie, when I say knocking out Bernie, I'm talking him finishing third in Iowa, maybe then the wind coming out of his sails a little bit. Um, then I think they would turn on her. Not because I think they think she's such a threat, but because why wouldn't they want Biden? I mean, I think they prefer Trump for four, <laughs> four more years and, and keep those ratings. You know, people are going to be scared shitless if Trump wins re-election for good reason. And CNN, MSNBC, Washington Post, you know, the, the profits, the clicks, they all, keep, they all stay, uh, maybe grow. But uh, do, do, you, do you see this media game? Because when you watch CNN, it, it's as much free airtime as they gave Trump. They're giving a lot of free airtime to Warren as well. I, I personally believe that Warren is the establishment choice. Um, I don't believe it's Biden. I believe that Biden was floated out there based on the, the Obama years and hoping that somehow or another that would engender some sort of loyalty there. I think Biden has said so many dumb things that even his most loyal, you know, sycophants can't defend. So I think Biden, you know, I don't want to, you know, he's a wounded dog. I, you never want to count a wounded dog out here, right? But I think that Elizabeth Warren and, and Kamala Harris are the two uh, that have the establishment's interest. I think they'd like to be able to prop a woman up there, um, which I think we all would like to see a woman president at some point in time. We just want to make sure it's the right woman president. Um, and I don't think either of these ladies is, um, you know, an adequate representative of our, our nation. And uh, lastly, what for MMT, if it were Biden versus Trump or even Warren versus Trump or name your pick, that's not Bernie. Uh, wouldn't that kind of be a step backwards as far as these principles? Because really, between Biden and Trump, you're just going to be debating, you know, artificial surface things, recapturing the soul of America, whatever that means. Trump, exactly. Trump talking about this booming economy that's just booming for his class. Uh, and Warren, you know, I, I don't think you'd have a meaty uh, debate, whereas Bernie, you have a debate really on the grounds of what are our priorities and changing the system. That's right. I, you know, I, I look at it like this. No matter who gets elected, We've got a lot of work to do. Even if Bernie gets elected, we have an incredible amount of work to do. And I worry, I really do worry, that even in our own burner community and, and the larger progressive community, that you see people that think that if they get Bernie in there that their job is done, they can go sipping lattes at brunch. And and the reality is, is that we've got an incredible amount of work to do. AOC, we got to prop people like AOC up. We need to get people that – and AOC, she's not 100 percent MMT because it's not that she's not MMT. It's that she doesn't fully understand it, right? She's getting there. She, I mean she, she did masterful work there with uh, – the when she was going up against the uh, the Fed chair and she broke down the Phillips curve and she broke down a lot of really, really strongholds about unemployment numbers and, and f she did great work. So there's people in the wings there that Bernie has planted his seed throughout and the MMT community has been growing growing, growing, whether people acknowledge it or not, they, they're going to watch this thing continue to unfold. And I think whether Bernie's the, the nominee or not, MMT, the people that know MMT are not going back to sleep. We are the most woke people on the planet, and we're fighting tooth and nail around the clock to, to bring about these things, whether it's by having a, a sympathetic candidate like Bernie in the White House or whether we're going against a hostile one where we just demand, we, may, we insist, and we build mass movement to actually force that to happen. 
I, I think you're going to see that continue to grow because you can't turn the lights off once you've understood how the system actually works. Right. Thank you very much, my friend. I'm sure we'll be uh, staying in touch as the campaign developments. How could people check out your work and others at Real Progressives? Absolutely. So come on, see us over there at Real Progressives on Facebook, our YouTube channel. Please come on over there. We have a podcast that is really the flagship of what we're doing. It's called Macro and Cheese. Uh, you can see us at macroandcheese.com. Macro, the letter N, and then cheese.com. Great podcast. Every one of them incredibly informative. Um, no hyperbole, just the experts coming in to talk. And I think that you'll find it incredibly enlightening and fun to listen to uh i have a problem though because i'm lactose intolerant <laughs> well, well we'll use lactose free ma- uh, the cheese <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks again Thank man you, you got it, it buddy okay